My name is Nate. Uh, glad to be with you here this morning, and uh, welcome to community. I'm glad that you made it out here on this New Year's Eve. Uh, welcome to those of you who are viewing via live stream, or even if you're watching this video later and you're not watching it in time, we welcome you as well. Because even though we may not be gathering all of us in one collective space or time, we still gather as the body of Christ to hear his word, to hear truth proclaimed over us, proclaimed to us, not to change us. And so we welcome you, and we're glad that you're with us in whatever way you are with us here this morning or later. That was a really long way to say, hey, glad you're with us. <laughs> so why don't I prolong it further? <clears throat> this morning, we are going to continue our journey. Oh, actually, pause, because I just saw it out of the corner of my eye. We just decided from here on out, we're going to dispel the myth that um, you gain weight when you're on TV. <laughs> Why is my wife the one laughing the loudest? <laughs> You're close. But yeah, we just want to make sure we're all about truth here at Community, so <clears throat> deal with it. I'm also going to fast for the next six months. So this morning, <clears throat> we're continuing our journey through the book of Matthew, a journey that began just a week ago uh, at Christmas and will carry us as a body of believers through Easter. For the coming weeks, we will be saturated in Matthew's gospel. We're going to be submerged, steeped, soaked, marinated in Matthew's book. We're going to be baptized, so to speak, in this good news that is Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're going to submerge ourselves back into the story a number of years after the birth of our Emmanuel, God with us. And at the time, this, we're going to rejoin the story at the time of his submersion, his saturation, his marination. We continue at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, and, and we're going we're to pick up our reading a little later, but at the beginning of this chapter, we're introduced to John the Baptist. Now, I just want to be clear, and, and, and many of us know this, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, John the Baptist is not John the author of the, uh, the gospel that we know comes forth in order. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not that John. John the Baptist is also not affiliated with any kind of denomination that we understand today. He's not a Baptist by our, our understanding our understanding, but John is the one who preaches the good news of the coming Lord and baptizes those in repentance. And now I, I'm going to do my best to continually refer to him as John the Baptist, but if I slip up and just say John, this is the same person I'm referencing. So the beginning of this chapter, we meet John the Baptist, a man who uh, is an outsider, so to speak. He, he, he walks in the wilderness. He lives in the wilderness. He preaches in the wilderness. He wears camel hair. He eats locusts. This man is different. John the Baptist is a prophet. Some would say he's the prophet, the prophet only second to Jesus, who himself is, is our prophet. But he's the prophet because he is called his life ministry is to prepare the way of the coming Lord. This is John the Baptist. He is to introduce to history the public ministry of Emmanuel, God with us. And he's doing just that at the beginning of Matthew 3. He's doing just that. He's preaching in the wilderness. People are coming from all over, from Jerusalem, from all over Judea. There are hundreds, if not thousands of people gathering to hear the news of our coming Savior. And he's baptizing them in water 
a baptism of repentance. Now, what that means is that there, there would be a public confession of sin and then an assurance of obedience to that repentance. Remember, repentance is, is turning from your sin and going a different direction. And, and that different direction is obviously towards God because sin is not. So John would preach the coming news of the Lord, the news of the coming Lord. People would confess their sins in the ways that they're separated from God. John would want to know about their obedience and turning from those ways. And then he would baptize them in the waters of repentance. And you see, with all these crowds coming, of course, there were some religious leaders, some spiritual elites, so to speak, the, the religious rule makers and law keepers who are going to show up. There's a crowd of people hearing about the coming Savior. They want to be there. Now, I don't know if they want to be there because they want to condemn John for what he's doing or, or if they want to be there because it'd be a great public display. Hundreds, if not thousands of people, we probably should have a representative there. If I had to guess, I would guess the latter. And they've come to be baptized. They've come to be baptized. Remember, these are the elite, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These are the men who live by the law. They live in repentance. Baptism shouldn't be an issue for them. So they approach John, and John doesn't only turn them away, he condemns them. He says, no, I will not baptize you. And he refers to them as a brood of vipers. And he says, I'm not going to baptize you because your life doesn't show any fruit of this repentance that you claim. And he says, and by the way, your purest heritage and all your, your rule following, that doesn't buy you salvation because a Savior is coming, and he's coming real soon. And he's not going to baptize with water like me. He says, in fact, he's going to baptize in the Holy Spirit. He's going to baptize with fire. He's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And the chaff are going to go into the unquenchable fire. That's the Savior who's coming. Repentance is needed. And repentance, it's real. This is where we pick up our reading this morning. Matthew 3, beginning in verse 13. Watch the dialogue here. Watch the dialogue that takes place. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and, and do you come to me? And Jesus replies, uh, let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience. Holy Spirit, we thank you for meeting us in it and guiding us in what you'll have us know. So we ask that you transform us, that you change us here this morning, that you conform us to look like you, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I, I come with you with open hands and open heart, pleading with you to stand in my body, to speak with my tongue and 
communicate the truth that you want to communicate so that we all, myself included, can be changed by the truth of your love. God, we praise you for your presence here this morning. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so John just kind of has at it with the Pharisees and Sadducees saying, hey, you better be, you better get yourself right because this repentance thing, it, it, it's the real deal. There's a Savior coming. If you don't repent, uh, there's, I mean, quite literally saying, there's hell to pay. And he condemns the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And at this moment, Jesus enters the picture. The mightier one himself. The one who John was just proclaiming about. Except Jesus isn't coming as the mighty end time judge that John just portrayed. Jesus doesn't walk in with an axe to cut down trees, which is one of the metaphors that John just used. He's not coming with a winnowing fork in his hand to separate the wheat from the chaff and throw the chaff into the fire. Another metaphor John had just used. Jesus shows up, not as the mighty God. Instead, he comes as, well, just another Israelite. He shows up as a human to be baptized. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I'm not communicating that Jesus can separate himself into divine or human. Jesus is always 100% human, 100% divine. But he doesn't show up as this godly divine presence, he shows up like any other human would. And he wants to be baptized. And this brings John pause. And I, I, love, I love the fact that it brings John pause. Because what John, what John is saying is, no, 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 no. I, I can't baptize you. You have to baptize me. Remember, this is a baptism of repentance. He just said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, you can't be baptized because you haven't shown the fruit of repentance. And then over here, he says no to Jesus. Not because he's not showing the fruit of repentance. No, no, no. Instead, it's because he is the fruit of repentance. Jesus is all repentance and all righteousness. He said, I can't baptize you. I'm way dirtier than you are. You need to baptize me. I can't do this. And John takes pause. He rebuts with Jesus. He says, I'm not going to do it. Jesus says, baptize me. He says, no. And I love this because in this moment, John is not only confessing who he knows Jesus to be, Savior, Lord. And he's also saying, no, Jesus, you're wrong. How does that work? Thing is, is we do it too. We do it too. Why would the fully human, fully divine Jesus Christ need a baptism of repentance, especially from a sinful man like John? John acknowledges Jesus for who he is, yet informs the creator there's a better way. You don't need to be baptized by me. On the contrary, it's I who needs baptism from you. But Jesus gently insists as he so often does and he says to John let it be so for now let it be so for now it is proper for us to do just this to fulfill all righteousness let it be so for now in other words let this happen John it's okay 
In this instance, in this moment in time, for this purpose, it's okay. See, John was expecting a mighty entrance from a grand savior who's going to come and raise up the nation of Israel again, who's going to rule with an iron staff, as an iron staff a thing. He's going to rule with something very heavy and strong. And he's going to rule with a, a, a fist. I, I, I'm going to back up. Thank you. Iron fist, some kind of staff. Maybe it's holding one. I don't know. He's going to rule with an iron fist. I really appreciate you being in the front row right now. Because I got lost in that. I got lost in it, and I'm spiraling still. So I'm going to stop. We're going to get back into it. John thinks that Jesus is going to come and raise up the nation of Israel again and rule with an iron fist, and he's going to be the one that spreads victory for God's people all over the earth. That every knee will bow, right? And Jesus is saying, yes, John, that will happen. That's coming. We'll get there. But let's do this right now. This is what's important. Yeah, it might be a different route than you think I'm going to take. It might, be, it might be way different than you anticipate. But I'm the Savior. We need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Follow me, John. It's okay. Let it be so for now. And he continues, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. It is proper. It's appropriate. It's fitting. Why is it fitting? Because it fits exactly what we know Jesus is going to do. We know that now, but John didn't know that in the moment. Jesus needs to be baptized with sinners. He needs to be baptized by a sinner because this is exactly how Jesus is going to save. Jesus stands in with humanity. He stands in for humanity. And he walks in your stead. That is how Jesus saves. So it is fitting that he's baptized, a baptism of repentance in the Jordan. And Jesus says it is fitting for us, which in the English sounds really nice. It sounds like John just got an upgrade. He got a huge promotion, and now he is a part of fulfilling all righteousness with the Savior of the world through this baptism. It's not the case. You see, us in English means the two people having the dialogue. John, Jesus. Us in the Greek here is actually a third person I and a first person present I. Which means that Jesus Christ, on behalf of God the Father, himself, and, Jesus Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit, is saying it is, it is proper for us, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to fulfill all righteousness for and with humanity. It's imperative, for, for, it's imperative for humanity's sake. God is remedying the fall of humanity, which we read about in Genesis. When humanity chose its own way over God's way. Remember, if you were here on Christmas, you heard, you heard a little bit about this. How at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about, and, and, and this is the genealogy of Jesus. And Pastor Trent told us that that Greek word that we come, come with, the, that we translate into genealogy, is Genesis. This is the genesis of Jesus. This is the beginning, right? We have the beginning, the creation, the fall. This is the new beginning. This is the reset button. This is the restart. This is the one who's going to fix everything. It's proper for us because we can't fix ourselves. God, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, starts things new. He's fulfilling all righteousness. So watch closely. 
Watch closely because God and Jesus steps into redemption's history. Not only as a divine being, but human to restore all righteousness so that humanity can be reunited with its creator in a walking, talking, knowing, loving, intimate relationship. That's why baptism is so fitting, as Jesus puts it. Because he is submersing himself in humanity to the fullest for our sake. And as Jesus steps into redemption's history for humanity, he steps into the Jordan to be baptized. You know, one of my favorite, actually, it's probably, yeah, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is in, in Joshua 3. And Joshua 3, is, it's, it's the, the uh, Israelites, God's chosen people, are just about to the promised land. I don't know if you remember, but the God's chosen people, they, they became a nation and they were, they were promised this land where they'd, they'd live in God's glory. It'd be a wonderful, pleasurable, successful, fruitful place. And they were enslaved in Egypt. And God raises up a leader, an unexpected leader in Moses. And, and through Moses, God leads his people out of exile, out of slavery. But as we know also well, because it's, it's true with us, not long after their escape from slavery, they realize that they'd rather return to the pain that they know than the unknown before them. We have the same thing, don't we? And because of this, God says, all right, well, we're not going to go directly to the promised land then. You need to walk around this wilderness, around this desert, around this chaos for 40 years. And then we'll walk you into the promised land. Well, Moses, their leader, he doesn't make, he doesn't make it to the end of the journey. He passes away. And his successor, Joshua, is raised up. And Joshua leads... You see, Joshua was a military leader, but he led, he didn't lead like a military leader. And Joshua, he, he leads the people to the Jordan River. And God says, I need you to step in it. You see, it was flood stage. It was that season. It was the harvest, right? So, so uh, what that meant was you put a foot in the Jordan and you just met yourself a watery grave hundreds of yards down. God says, put a foot in, I'll back up the water at the city of Adam. And so the people put their foot in, and God stops the water, and they walk across on dry land, right into the promised land. Now, why do I share this story with you? Because they both have the Jordan River in it? Well, yeah, that's part of it. Check this out. <clears throat> Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan River from outside Bethany, right across from Jericho. And upstream in Adam, the water stopped, and people walked across dry land into the promised land. And John the Baptist baptized people in Bethany. Then he went just next door to the Jordan River where he got in Crowds came. He preached the good news. And Jesus shows up right across from Jericho. And Jesus steps in 
the same place that Joshua stepped into redemptive history. Except for this time, Jesus isn't leading us to a land mass. He's leading us to the promised land that has an enduring love, an everlasting grace, has an eternity of intimacy with him. A promised land that has a value we can't fathom. Jesus is taking the lead out of the wilderness, out of the desert, out of the chaos, and into an intimacy forever for the fulfillment of all righteousness. And all this happens as he steps into the Jordan to be baptized. Well, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens parted, right? And the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended on him. And in our scripture, it says it lighted him, which just means it filled all that he was. It filled him. And a voice was heard, the Father's voice. And he said, this is my son. I love him. He gives me great joy. Now I want you to realize that God the Father said this to Jesus the Son before any miracle had been performed, before any, any storm had been calmed, before any water turned to wine, before any cross had been endured. He said, this is my son whom I love. He gives me great joy. He gives me great joy. I asked you earlier <clears throat> to note the dialogue that was taking place. Three voices in our scripture this morning. John, who refuses Jesus. Jesus, who gently insists. And the Father, who confirms. Three voices. Jesus who refuses, or John who refuses Jesus, Jesus who gently insists, and the Father who confirms. Are you familiar with this dialogue? Do you recognize this interaction? Let me help you. Have you ever had it? I know I have. Where you just feel too broken for healing? Where you feel too lost to be found? Where you feel too sinful, too dirty to be cleaned? And so when Jesus approaches you, you try to turn him away. It's not that you don't believe in him. It's not that you don't adore him as Lord. It's not that you don't desire him. It's not that you don't love him. It's that you say, I, you're too clean. Why would I baptize you? Oh, wait, I got the stories. And just like John, we refuse Jesus. We know who he is. We recognize it. But we rebut. No, 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 no. Just clean me. I can't have you walk with me and my stuff. Just clean me. Just take care of it. I'm too ashamed, Lord. I can't have you in my stuff with me. I can't have you in my past with me. I can't have you in my grief, in my hurt, in my situation with me. Just take care. Wouldn't you just take care of it? And we rebut. Because we're so hung up on our sinful secrets and our self-serving state of being that we feel shame in the presence of our Savior. We're seemingly broken beyond repair from a destruction that we started. When Jesus, in his immeasurable grace, at his gent gentle insistence, he says, I'm fulfilling all righteousness. And that includes you. 
It's a righteousness that I want in you. It's a righteousness I want for you. And it's a righteousness I want through you. So, so that when we say yes to Jesus in those moments, yes, there's a big yes to Jesus where we accept him as Lord, but there are many little yeses for the rest of our lives and our situations and our grief and our hurt and our despair. When we say yes to Jesus in those moments, we are the same as John the Baptist, who after saying to Jesus, I, no, 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 I won't baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus says, this is okay for now. It's to fulfill all righteousness. And it says, John, John lets it happen. John submits. And when we submit, and when we say yes in those moments, we are offered a baptism, not of water. Because remember, John tells us that he's not coming with the baptism of water. He's coming with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. And so in that moment, when we say yes, the heavens, they don't need to open up again. They haven't closed since Jesus' baptism. Holy Spirit's waiting just to descend on you in your situation like a dove and fill you so that God the Creator can walk with you through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill all righteousness. And the Holy Spirit falls on us and seals us as Christ's own forever. Forever. And then before we can do any good, before we can obey any rules, before we can go to church every Sunday, before we can go to church on Sunday, that is New Year's Eve. Before any of those things happen, before we can volunteer, before we can give our tithes and our offerings, before any of that, the Father speaks. And because we are co-heirs in Christ, he's not just speaking to Jesus, he's speaking to you and he says, son, daughter, I love you beyond what you can fathom. And in you, I take great joy. Are you familiar with that dialogue? Do you recognize the interaction? Because Jesus is calling. He's getting into your Jordan River. And he so desires to join you right where you are. No matter how dirty you are, how buried your secrets, how broken you think you may be. And we all push him away. I know I do it. And we say, just clean me, Lord. Take my sin, just claim me. I can't have you in my brokenness with me. I'm too dirty. Just take care of it. And Jesus gently insists. And if we consent, Jesus steps into those moments, into those hard situations, not to shame us, but to fulfill all righteousness, taking on our humanity and walking with us, leading us out of the wilderness, out of the chaos, where? Into the promised land. And as this all happens, we need to let God finish the conversation because when the Holy Spirit descends to guide us through Jesus Christ and empower us, the God the Father speaks to us. We got to listen. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. 
I love you. Not only that, you give me great joy. And you see, we're gifted with the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, not because, not just because we need divine healing, but because he wants to empower us to go and share the truth of his fulfilling righteousness with the world, not just in word, but in deed. Are you familiar with this dialogue? Do you recognize the interaction? I urge you, I urge you to let God the Father finish that conversation with you. Let him finish it. Because it ends well. Follow Jesus up out of the river. Follow him into the promised land, up out of the wilderness, out of the chaos, out of the desert. And pay close attention. When you do that, pay close attention. Because as we journey towards Easter, as we journey through the book of Matthew, He's going to show us how to walk in his word. He's going to show us how to live indeed. He's going to show us himself. He's going to show us ourselves. And he's going to give us an example. An example that we've been empowered to live out ourselves. By the Holy Spirit alone. Fulfilling all righteousness. Jesus did it for the sake of humanity. And now he wants to do it through us for the sake of humanity. So let's pay close attention. But first, let's consent to his gentle insistence and hear the truth from God the Father about who we are. Pray with me. Father, it is, oddly enough, it is hard to come before you in prayer right now. Because even as I'm preaching this not for the first time, I'm, Holy Spirit, you're leading me into areas of my life and my soul and my existence that are still dirty that I've turned you away. And how could I preach that and not then be immediately convicted of it? And so it's hard to come here and lay it down. And I want to rebut. But Father, I am yours. And Father, there are many in here that are yours as well. Those who aren't, would you prick their hearts so they can feel your love, maybe for the first time. If there are those who are yours, who know who you are, would you lower their guard, Holy Spirit? Because Jesus, we want to accept your gentle insistence. We welcome the fulfillment of righteousness. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Name above all names, the only name worth praying in, the only name that has power. Or is that your, the sound of your name? The devil flees and cowers. Amen. You know, I like to do this. I like to read blessings from the word as benedictions. And there's no, nothing special about that. It just has become personal preference of mine, for the time being at least. And as I was standing here and letting that last song kind of pour over me, um, I, I was reminded of 
Um, Isaiah 42. Now, Isaiah 42 is where the prophet Isaiah uh, declares on God's behalf what we just read about in Matthew 3. Where he speaks of the baptism of Christ. How it's exactly going to go down. So I turn to Isaiah 42, and this is what I read. And I want this to be our benediction. I want this to be God's blessing over us, not only in the end of 2017, but this is the starting point for 2018. Hear these words of God through the prophet Isaiah. This is what God the Lord says. He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for those who don't know me, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. You are sons and daughters, and he loves you. Go in peace. And how about we have a wonderful 2018?